listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This message is from the series Heroes and Underdogs, with a new weekly topic on one or more people who did great things for God. Be sure to check out Michael's book, A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. You can get it on Amazon or wherever books are sold. What is it that God has been saying to you? What has God, the creator of the universe, the one who spoke things into existence, the one who brought you into the world at this particular time in history, what has God been saying to you? Have you been listening to what God has been saying to you? You know, it's one thing for God to be speaking to us. In fact, the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, and you can write that down, Ecclesiastes 3, 11. The book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, who wrote, humanly speaking, the human component of the book of Ecclesiastes, because every book of the Bible has a human component and a divine component, the Holy Spirit writing through the human component, kind of like a ship with a sail on the ocean. The sail catches the wind, and the wind and the sail together cause that ship to reach its destination. That's the way scripture is, that through the Holy Spirit, God breathed into the lives of the human components, the writers of scripture, 66 books from Genesis to Revelation, and God breathed into those individuals, used their personalities, used their family of origin, used their background, used their experiences, and together you have a human and a divine partnership, which is what the whole Bible is about, That's what your life is about. That's why I'm asking, what is God saying to you? What has God been saying to you? And have you been listening? Because at the end of the day, it's working together. The writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, says that God has put eternity in your heart and in mine. Every individual has within them this vision, this hungering, this hankering for things that are not temporal, for things that are long-term. And that's one of the things that God is busy doing in your life. If you're listening, if you're listening, one of the things that God is doing in your life is trying to get you to abandon the temporal, to give up immediate satisfaction, immediate gratification, to put that on hold so that you can take up what really matters in the long-term scheme of things. And there's nothing that is greater in terms of the long term than eternity. So the idea that God has put eternity in your heart and in mind, that God has put eternity in the hearts of people is significant. That's not something that's humanly placed there. It's put there by God. So when I ask this question, it's a huge question that you need to ask again and again in your life, not just once a week, But every day, what is God saying to me? What has God been saying to me? Be a good thing to write that down. One of the key questions in your life that you need to ask and then you need to be able to answer. What is God saying to me? What has God been saying to me? Through his word, the Bible. Of course, that's the primary way that God speaks is through his word, the Bible. And if you want to understand what God is saying to you in the gray areas of life, meaning the subjective areas, the areas where you don't necessarily have black and white, it's not clear, it's fuzzy, then the best way to get clarity in the gray areas of life is to have clarity in the black and white areas of life, the ink and paper, the Bible. 
The more you understand the Bible in the black and whites, the things that God is teaching in the Bible, the greater clarity you're going to have when it comes to every area of life, especially in those quote-unquote gray areas. You need wisdom, you need insight, you need direction, you need to know what God's will is for an area of your life, for your family, for your business, for your neighborhood, for a relational situation, for a financial situation. You should be asking God, for wisdom and discernment and direction and all of those things. And you should also be anticipating that God's going to be speaking to you about those things. Sometimes he'll also speak with a prompting in you, which will be confirmed with his word. He'll speak to you through other godly people who are walking with God, who are led by the Holy Spirit, who know the Bible. So you might not know the Bible as well as somebody else knows the Bible. And so somebody else who knows the Bible, maybe more than you, might come along and shed some insight on the black and white of what would be otherwise a gray thing for your life, a gray area of your life, and you want somebody to speak truth into you. You want people around you who know the Bible and know the God of the Bible. You want to be careful that people don't just know the Bible. You want to make sure that their lifestyle is in line with what they're sharing from the Bible, because otherwise you could be getting information from a Pharisee. Pharisees were the guys that Jesus didn't use any of them except one, the Apostle Paul, as one, the Bible says, abnormally born. Jesus overlooked the 6,000 Pharisees of his day, and they were scholars. They were experts. They had the equivalent of PhDs in Old Testament, and Jesus didn't use one of them. So you want to be careful that in getting wisdom and discernment and insight and counsel from people who know the Bible, you want to make sure that they don't just know the Bible with their head, but they know the God of the Bible in their heart and they're walking with him with their feet and their hands, that they're putting what they're saying into practice. So God can speak to you a number of ways, primarily through his word, your circumstances in your life, the still small voice of him speaking to you. You gotta be really careful that you're not experiencing a schizophrenic situation where you're hearing voices. I'm not saying that God can't speak through voices, but if you're looking for a voice, why not start with his word, the Bible? You can have a personal word from God any and every time you open up the Bible. Anytime you want a word from God, you can open up the Bible. And I have found you'll find it too. The more you know what the black and white teaching is of scripture, the less gray areas there are in life. The more you know the black and white, the less gray you'll encounter. And when you do encounter the gray, you'll find out that God is not necessarily as interested in you getting it perfectly right as much as your heart being in the right place as you're living in an imperfect vessel. You might not get God's will correct every single time, but that doesn't mean you give up on it. Listen, when you wake up in the morning, you're probably going to need to take a shower again. The people at work want you to take a shower again. Your spouse wants you to take a shower. So just because you might get a little bit sweaty today, you might not be as clean at the end of the day as you were at the beginning of the day, doesn't mean that you give up on showering. Showering is a good thing. And that could be one of the reasons, the lack of showering could be one of the reasons why you're having relationship problems. (laughs) Just got to be honest with you. But in the same way, just because you might have made mistakes in your past, you might not have gotten it right, doesn't mean that you throw in the towel and you say, I'm not going to get back up on that horse and keep trying. Keep trying to do what? Discern what God is saying to you. 
What has God been saying to you? And have you been listening? See, the second part is really important. What is the Spirit of God saying to you? That's one thing you want to write down. The second thing, how do I respond to what God is saying to me? Because if you're recognizing that God is speaking to you and you're not responding to what God is saying to you, then his words are falling on deaf ears. And if God's word keeps falling on deaf ears, you could end up with a hard heart. And you don't want to end up with a hard heart. You see, if you're committed to God, and God is committed to you, he's committed to you. He's committed to me. He's committed to each and every one of us. He's put eternity in our hearts. He's given us a book of books in the Bible. He's given us the Holy Spirit the moment. He gives us the Holy Spirit the moment we accept Christ as our Savior. God's committed to you. But you need to be, I need to be, we need to be committed to God as well, which means if you are a Christ follower, or if you are not yet a Christ follower, and you're about to become a Christ follower, the idea is that your life is perpetually changing, continually changing. You are not the same person today you were last week. You are not the same person you were last week. Listen, you can't be the same person you were last week. It's not possible. If you are going to follow Jesus Christ, which is what a real Christ follower does, a real Christ follower is committed to perpetual change, transformation. You're not as Christ-like in character today as you will be by God's grace and your cooperation, by God's grace and your cooperation, by God's grace and your cooperation as you will be tomorrow. So important to understand, it's not just God's grace. It's not just what God is doing in your life and what God is doing for you. It's your cooperation with him. And one of the ways that you can probably cooperate with God more, I know it's true of myself, I'm simply sharing from my own life and hoping that something I say will connect with you in yours. I know that it's not just that God speaks to me that's important, it's that I need to be listening not just with my ears, but with my heart, my hands, and my feet. I need to be willing to immediately put into practice whatever it is that God says to me. And this is one of the reasons why in life some people go far with God and far in life and other people don't go far with God and far in life. Because our listening needs to be not just tactile, not just biological, not just physiological with our eyes when we read the Bible or with our ears when God is speaking to us through his word or through a spoken message based on his word. Our listening needs to be demonstrated by a perpetual commitment to being changed and transformed, which means There has got to be a significant component in any genuine Christ follower's life where there is discomfort. Discomfort when it comes to being a Christ follower is your friend, not your enemy. Discomfort when it comes to being a Christ follower is your friend, not your enemy. Your friend, not your enemy. And here's what this means. We live in a society where comfort is the new God. We live in the snack capital of the United States right here in York. You want pickles? Underrated, by the way. You always hear about Martins and you hear about Uts. You don't really hear about pickles. You don't hear too much about Smitty's pretzels, which I think Smitty's pretzels are phenomenal. Saw a Groupon the other day. Don't take your smartphone out right now. (laughs) Half off Smitty's pretzels. 
half off. I hope it's still available by the time the day is over because I plan on getting some Smitty's pretzels. Comfort food, convenience, the ability to get something that satisfies an immediate craving. Many of us are going for the satisfaction of an immediate craving instead of the long haul of obedience. And part of that is because we live in a culture where instant gratification and comfort is the new God. And we have been heavily influenced in a thorough way. No matter how old or young we are, no matter what our skin color, no matter what our financial status, we have been influenced by this culture more than we realize. And the culture is telling us, pursue comfort. Pursue what is comfortable. Take the easy way. Take the easy way. Jesus says, unless you take up your cross and follow me every day, you cannot be my disciple. And so inconvenience and discomfort, they are your greatest friends when it comes to transformation. If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to be committed to a life that is uncomfortable so that it pleases God and becomes comfortable. No one who truly surrenders to God will ever live to regret it. No one. So whatever discomfort God might be speaking to you in your life, whatever he might be saying to you that he wants you to change, is completely compensated by the change that God will bring when you cooperate with him, that discomfort will give way to eternally significant comfort, eternally significant comfort, and then you'll be exchanging the short term for the long term. See, there are three kinds of people in life. There are those who reject Jesus Christ across the board. They want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. There are those who are agnostic or atheist. They want nothing to do with God, nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And that might be you, but at least you're listening. So that's a good start. And then there are others who follow Jesus selectively or conditionally. There are others who follow Jesus selectively or conditionally, meaning if it seems like it's a good plan in their own limited human insight, then maybe they'll follow Jesus. Or maybe the circumstances of life dictate, well, that's too scary for me. And I would say that, that these folks who follow Jesus selectively, there's many of them today. And there are many of them within the church. I lovingly refer to them as unwitting, card-carrying holders of the nighttime Bible reading society. <laughs> See, if you read the Bible at night, lights off, sunglasses on, and one eye closed, you will miss huge portions of Scripture and you will recreate God in your own image to satisfy your own likeness according to your circumstances, and you will be selective about when you obey God, when you hear him, when you listen to him, and when and how you follow him. There are many people who are selective and conditional in what they do with Jesus Christ, and that might be you. That might be you. But then the third individual, the third individual is the person who is surrendered to Jesus Christ, surrender to Jesus Christ, where your whole life is centered upon the person and the works of Jesus, not at a 50,000 foot level, not just for fire insurance, where you're accepting Christ to avoid an eternity in the lake of fire, but you accepted Christ and you grew and you're growing in maturity in him where you're beginning to realize and you're realizing more and more that because of God's grace, it's time for me to get to work. Because of God's grace, because of God's undeserved favor in my life, it's time for me to live for Jesus Christ, 
to surrender to him. So I don't know which one you are, whether you've rejected Jesus categorically across the board or whether you selectively follow and walk with Jesus, whether you selectively or conditionally based on circumstances, based on your redefined image of God, or whether you follow Jesus in complete surrender. I don't know, but God knows the truth. And speaking of the truth, there's nothing like the truth of God's word to take us from where we are to where God wants us to be. You know, that's what God is busy doing in your life and in mine. He's taking us from where we are to where he wants us to be. And that's why Matthew chapter 21 is such an important passage of scripture. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 21 in our Lord's Word. Matthew chapter 21. We're in our series, Heroes and Underdogs, and there's no hero, there's no underdog greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've been waiting to get to this particular point to present to you the hero of heroes, the one who comes in and saves the day, saves your day, day after day, the one who comes in and saves my day, day after day, my family, day after day. Our church, day after day. There's no hero, no underdog like Jesus. Now, he's an underdog because people are not following Jesus as broadly and as deeply as they should, as they could. And so he's become, unfortunately, the forgotten superhero in all of this discussion and all of the needs that exist today. But I don't want you to forget Jesus as your superhero, Jesus as the bedrock, Jesus as the rock, Jesus as the one who can rescue you from all of your sins, give you eternal life, but that eternal life begins in the here and now so that you can live each and every day partnering with him and walking with him. Jesus is the hero of heroes and the underdog of underdogs. In John chapter 12, we read that this particular instance that's recorded in all four of the gospels, all four of the gospels have this particular passage that we're going to look at in Matthew 21. But in John's gospel, He says that this happened six days before the Passover. So this is the final week. This is the final week of Jesus' life on earth. And here's what took place. Now, verse 1 of Matthew 21. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And as we're looking at this, I want you to think about what is God saying to you through this passage of Scripture. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, and now he quotes from Zechariah chapter 9, as we're going to look at, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We're going to understand what that means in a moment. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? I mean, they knew it was Jesus, but the real question was, but, but who is Jesus? That the people would have this kind of a response to him. 
And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. So much for the idea that Jesus didn't judge. He said to them, it's written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They were mad. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read? Then he quotes from Psalm 8. Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. You know, there are people who will say that Jesus never claimed to be God. He never claimed to be God. And you've heard it yourself. You'll hear it if you're around for any length of time. The only way you can reach the conclusion that Jesus didn't claim to be God is if you don't use the Bible in your research. It's the only way you can come to that conclusion because let's begin with the end here. Look what Jesus does when they're proclaiming Hosanna to the son of David. You'll understand what that means in just a moment here. Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Look with me at Psalm 8, verses 1 and 2. Jesus is quoting from this particular passage of Scripture, the Old Testament, which was Jesus' go-to handbook. He's always quoting from the Old Testament and then he's being a good rabbi and interpreting what that means. And here, Jesus interprets what it means. In Psalm 8, verses 1 and 2, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So who's the object of affection here? God himself. It's a psalm that begins talking directly about God and directly to God. How majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes, and to still the enemy and the avenger. Now, Jesus was either out of his mind or right in his mind when he pulls out of his repertoire Psalm 8, verses 1 and 2, on the heels of the teachers of the law, the guys who knew the Old Testament but didn't put it into practice, the Pharisees, the scribes, when he references Psalm 8 and he says... Haven't you ever heard how God gets praise and God gets glory? You see, for Jesus to say that, he might as well have sliced the thigh open of the chief Pharisee and taken a bag of salt and dumped it the whole length of that wound. It's like rubbing salt in that kind of a wound. If the objective was to appease and to go along with the narrative of the Pharisees, but that's not what Jesus does. Would have been a perfect opportunity and Jesus would have had a moral obligation. He would have had a moral obligation and a spiritual obligation as one who bore the name rabbi, teaching and preaching in Israel. He would have had a moral and a spiritual obligation to correct the record if he was misleading people. But actually what Jesus does, the master communicator communicating masterfully always saying the right word at the right time to make sure that what he's saying and who he is is unmistakable, uses this opportunity to say, let me put this whole discussion on steroids here. You've heard what the people are saying about me. Let me tell you what I say about me. And you might say, well, Jesus was misleading the people. He was deceiving them. That doesn't explain the miraculous signs and wonders. 
If Jesus was lying, that doesn't explain by whose power, by what power, by what authority was he performing miraculous signs and wonders. And the greatest of which we're going to look at coming up here, you know, there's some people who are unfamiliar with the Bible, members of the Nighttime Bible Reading Society. They think that on Friday, we're celebrating the Easter bunny gets killed, put in a grave somewhere, and on the third day comes back and distributes eggs to everybody. That's not what Easter is about. The greatest of all the miracles that Jesus performed is that even though he was completely, totally rejected by people and shed his blood for the forgiveness of your sins and mine, on the third day he was raised again by the Father for the purpose of the Father giving the verdict that I approve of everything he did, everything he said, and everything he was and forever will be. It's the verdict of God the Father that Jesus paid for every single one of your sins, every single one of them. And there's nothing that you can do to make payment apart from what Jesus paid. He did it all. So here what Jesus is doing is he's saying, not only have you heard what these people are saying correctly, but I also want you to hear what I'm saying correctly. I'm actually attributing, which would have been blasphemous for him to do this, it would have been a huge sin for him to do this if he was wrong. He actually attributes the words of the psalmist spoken of Yahweh, the living and the true God, the God of the Old Testament, to himself. Do you hear what these people are saying? Do you hear? Hey, Rabbi. Hey, Stunad. Do you hear what these people, Mr. Good Teacher, are saying about you? They said it when you rode in on the donkey. The children are now being misled. If you're misleading them, they're saying it in the temple. Hosanna. You better set this record straight because you're crooked in what you're doing to these people. And Jesus says to them, oh, aren't you familiar, Mr. Scholar in the Old Testament? Have you totally forgotten those scriptures that you're diligently studying so that you can recognize the Messiah when the Messiah shows up? Have you stopped to consider that maybe those scriptures that you're studying so that you can recognize the Messiah when the Messiah shows up are actually fulfilled in me? Because I'm going to tell you what, let me pull one of the many scriptures that I've been pulling out of my repertoire the whole three or so years that I've been teaching and preaching and healing the sick and proclaiming people's sins forgiven. Psalm 8 verses 1 and 2, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. I say that that's a reference to me. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you've ordained praise. It would have been blasphemous for Jesus. Nonsense for him to take an equal footing with God the Father. You mean to tell me that what is written in the Old Testament, you're saying is about you? Are you out of your mind? You better set this record straight and you better do it right now. John's gospel in chapter 12, it says the whole city, the Pharisees say the whole city's gone after him. The whole world is following him. The whole world has gone after him. But I tell you, six days later, they're going to turn on him. These people who conditionally, selectively are following Jesus. And if they did it then, when the king of kings was there in their presence, how much easier it is for you and for me today when we walk by faith, not by sight. We don't get the privilege, we don't have the privilege that they had of beholding Jesus riding in on the back of a donkey. 
So the next time somebody says to you, Jesus never claimed to be God. You remember Matthew chapter 21, and you remember that the only way that you can conclude, this is one of dozens and dozens of instances we can look at, the only way that you could conclude that Jesus didn't claim to be God is if you don't use the Bible where you get the idea of Jesus in the first place as your textbook. And let me tell you something, when it comes to listening to God and what God's saying to you, you better listen to what Jesus has to say to you in regard to his identity. Because what you believe about God is the single most important thing about you. What you believe about God. Because it has everything to do with what you end up believing about yourself. And what you believe about God, what you believe about yourself, those two things together, they're the rudder. They are the rudder. What you believe about God, what you believe about yourself, they are the rudder that is guiding your life. Every decision you make is guided by what you truly believe about God. Every decision you make is guided by what you truly believe about yourself. And if you want to have clarity in the gray areas of life, you've got to get the black and white clear. You've got to get it down. And that means you've got to understand what the Word of God says. So Jesus absolutely did claim to be God. He absolutely did put himself on equal footing with God. He absolutely attributed himself to the pages of Scripture. If you read Luke chapter 24, on the road to Emmaus, after the resurrection, Jesus comes along, Cleopas and another disciple, and he taught them everything that was written about him in Moses and the prophets, the Old Testament. And then later on, it says in that same chapter, chapter 24 of Luke's gospel, that he opened the minds of the disciples so that they could understand the scriptures and everything that is written about him. Jesus was on solid ground, the rock of rocks on solid footing, when he's saying, I'm on equal footing with God. The one that's spoken of in the Old Testament, that's me. And that has huge ramifications for your life, how you use your time, how you use your money, how you resolve or don't resolve relational issues. We can talk about following Jesus at a 50,000 foot level, but until following Jesus makes its way into the daily ins and outs, your morning routine, your end of the day routine, your end of the work routine, your daily life, until it makes its way into your checkbook, your bank account, your investments, until it makes its way into how you conduct yourself at the workplace, how you conduct yourself in the family, how you conduct yourself with parenting, how you conduct yourself with being a child with parents, until it makes its way into every area of your life, you're not really giving Jesus what Jesus rightly deserves, which is your complete surrender, your complete devotion, your complete all-in service for him. Listen, you're going to have problems in life whether you follow God or whether you don't. You might as well have the kinds of problems that come from following him. There it is. You're going to have problems whether you follow God or whether you don't. I've found that the problems that I have when I follow God are much easier to handle than the problems that I have when I resist him. And I bet you'll find the same thing as well. You notice what they're saying to Jesus here when he rides in on the donkey, verse 5 of Matthew 21, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Let's look at Zechariah chapter 9 in verse 9 where Jesus is saying to fulfill all of this. 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so in hindsight, the writer of scripture here, the writer of Matthew's gospel, is helping us understand that Jesus is the king spoken of in Zechariah, one of the prophets. And that the specificity that Jesus is using, see, he didn't just rebuke the Pharisees and the scribes by saying, haven't you read about Psalm 8, verses 1 and 2? He actually does a premeditated act. And he actually says, listen, I want you to get a donkey and a colt and bring them to me. And then Jesus, in a premeditated way, gets on the back of one of them and rides in, being fully cognizant, fully aware, not out of his mind, but in his mind, that if he were to do this, anyone familiar with the teachings of the prophets would recognize, wait a second, Zechariah 9 talks about a king riding in on the back of a donkey. It seems so unlikely. See, we don't think about a donkey these days as being something that you ride into battle in, but in Old Testament days and in this transitional period, to ride in on a donkey, that's what a king would do. They'd go off into battle and you'd ride on the back of a donkey because they were strong and sturdy and could endure battle rigors and all of the difficult landscape issues that they'd have, the topography in the area there. And so Jesus is deliberately in a premeditated way saying, I want you to get a donkey, I want you to get a colt, being familiar with Zechariah chapter 9, so that this is that, so that people would be able to see what he's doing, put the two together, connect the dots, and they would understand that he is deliberately, intentionally proclaiming himself as king, as their savior, Salvation is coming to you. Your king is coming to you. Jesus was the master communicator, communicating masterfully, saying the right thing at the right time. But are we listening? Are we listening? And are we adjusting our lives so that he really practically speaking, not just at a head level, at a theological level, but are we adjusting our lives, like I said in the beginning, that our lives are to be in a perpetual state of transformation where Jesus is the king more and more practically speaking, that he's Lord more and more practically speaking, that he not only saves me from all of my sins so that I have eternal life, but that he saves me from my sin choices that I might make today apart from him. He spares me and saves me from shame that I would endure, shackles that I would put on myself, all kinds of decisions. There are many people who start off with Jesus and then they end up with their flesh. They don't follow him on the day-to-day routine, on the day-to-day decisions that they have. They end up having hell to pay in the here and now. But did you notice what they're saying? The children say it in the temple area. And the whole crowd, when they're cutting off branches and laying cloaks on the ground, the feet of the donkey wouldn't even touch the ground. They're honoring him as a king. And they're saying, Hosanna. You know, if we look at, and let's take a look at 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 4, here's examples of the same Hebrew word that's translated into the English, Hosanna. We say, Hosanna, what does that mean? It just sounds like you're saying praise. Well, that's not actually what the word meant. In 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 4, when the woman of Tekoa came to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and paid homage and said, save me, O king. Save is the word Hosanna. Save me, O king. And then when we get to 2 Kings, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 26. Here's another example of the use of the word Hosanna. 
2 Kings 6, 26, Now as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, Help my lord, O king. That word help is the word Hosanna. It can be, it means to help with a sense of urgency. It means to save with a sense of urgency. And so the writer of scripture is putting Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine in there. He's recording what actually happened historically. Jesus in a premeditated way, riding in on a donkey, knowing that he would be completely understood and not misunderstood. That's why the Pharisees got so upset with him. If you're wondering, well, why didn't Jesus make it clear? He made it so clear that they crucified him. It's not that they didn't understand what he was saying about himself. It was that they didn't want to go along with Jesus as being the king because they did not understand all of the scriptures that they needed to understand. They did not, see, they were members of the nighttime Bible reading society. They had recreated this idea of the Messiah in their own imagery. And so they expected him to be a military deliverer who would deliver the people from the Romans. And so when the Pharisees saw that Jesus wasn't interested in delivering the people from the Romans, they completely missed the idea that he was interested in delivering the people from sin. The next time Jesus returns, he is going to be dealing with all oppression once and for all. That's why the Bible says every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more sorrow and there will be no more suffering. The part one of the story of Jesus is first things first. Let me deal with the sin issue. Let me deal with the separation issue. Let me deal with the guilt issue between every human being and me. We'll get to the full deliverance down the road of human oppression and sorrow and suffering and sickness and all this other stuff once and for all when there's a new heaven and a new earth. You can read about that in the book of Revelation. But first things first, I gotta get you saved. I gotta remove all of your sin. I want a relationship with you in the meantime. See, so when the people are saying, Hosanna, look with me again at Matthew chapter 21, as the veil is removed and you understand what the word actually means and what the people are actually doing and the significance of it, look at what they're doing in verse 9 of Matthew 21. The crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, reference to 2 Samuel chapter 7, 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 12 through 16, the son of David, the Messiah, the king, the deliverer would be a descendant of none other than King David. So by them saying son of David, this crowd knows their Old Testament. This crowd has an understanding, at least to a certain degree, of the Messiahship, the Messiah teaching. They have an understanding about the lineage, the ancestry of the Messiah, and they recognize that this is that. This is the one spoken of in the Old Testament. And they're saying, save now, help us now to the son of David. And they're attributing all of that to Jesus. And you see this perfect, amazing culmination where Jesus in a premeditated way wants to come in on a donkey, the way it's written of in the scripture, fulfilling scripture, where the people knowing the scriptures and identifying what Jesus is doing, the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed, and they say, this is that, son of David, the Messiah. And they're asking for salvation, just like you do and just like I do. We often ask God to deliver us from things that aren't the real issue. You don't have a financial issue. You have a lordship issue. Because if you're misusing the money that God has given you, you've got a lordship issue. If you feel like you don't have enough money, you don't understand the biblical teaching that it's my God who supplies all of my needs according to his riches and glory. You might not have a relationship issue. You might have a humility issue. You might not have a 
career issue, you might have a issue with listening to God and obeying his voice. You might be in a career that you shouldn't be in because you thought it would be better in your own wisdom, in your own eyesight, in your own understanding to disobey God. And that's why you are potentially where you are today. See, nobody who truly surrenders to God will ever live to regret it. Nobody. But you resist God, and there can be consequences for that. There will be consequences for that. Nothing can compensate for resisting God. So why not surrender to him? Why not be among that third group of people who surrenders to God fully and leaves the consequences at his feet? See, has God been speaking to you? What has God been saying to you about his lordship, about surrendering to him, about following him? See, if this is Jesus, that he really is the king of kings, that he really is the one who brings salvation, then why not let him save you? Why not let him save you from all of your sins and an eternity separated from him? And why not let him save you in all of the areas of your life where you need him to rescue you? He's the master savior. He knows how to save and to rescue from any and every situation you might find yourself in. That's why he's your hero. And that's why he's your underdog. He's overlooked and often forgotten, but he always shows up in powerful ways when you ask him to. You might have an issue in your family with raising your children or perhaps caring for your parents or maybe another issue in the family that might be going on. Either the situation gets straightened out or God gives you strength in the midst of a crooked situation. Either way, Jesus wins. We never get ahead. We never move ahead. We never make progress if we resist God because no one who resists God will ever come out a winner. See, Jesus has always been there as your hero. He's always been there as your underdog. He's always had outstretched arms. He always has and always will have outstretched arms for you if you will reach your arms out to him as well. It really is a partnership with God where God is speaking to you. And you and I, we have the opportunity of listening to him. What has God said to you in our time together? Are you listening? And are you committed to the perpetual transformation of your life by agreeing with God about the truth? If you will simply agree with God about the truth that you know he's speaking to you, If you will simply agree with God about the truth that you know he's speaking to you, and that truth is primarily that he is God and he is your savior, and he will always be God and will always make himself available to you as savior. If you will let him save you, he will. He'll rescue you. He'll provide wisdom and direction and transformation, the kind of transformation that deep down in that same heart where God has placed eternity, you hunger to be changed. So why not let this moment right now be the moment where God in all of his glory and all of his goodness, where Jesus can be the hero that you need him to be. Interested in requesting Michael Anthony for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. You can get more resources just like this podcast through the app and website as well.